You're listening to a presentation of The Rising, a community of faith, a church designed to see people far from God raised to true life. We're always encouraged to know God is changing lives through this ministry. If you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email to stories at wearetherising.com. Now, prepare your heart and mind to hear a word from God. And maybe you're here today and uh, you resonate with the words of that song and you would say, man, it is Easter, I'm in church, but I don't even know if I believe. And if you would say that today, I want to let you know I understand because it's difficult sometimes to believe. I know I felt that way at times as well, but I'm glad that you're here. However you ended up here, if you came because you heard a radio ad, uh, you got a mailer in the mail, you saw a poster, or somebody brought you, I'm glad that you're here today. And what I want to do is I want to give you a reason to believe. I want to give you some evidence today as to why you can have hope. Really what I want to do is I want to open up your eyes, like that song says, so that you can see things in a different way. You know, I didn't grow up going to church. I started going to church when I was 13 years old, and I didn't really know anything about Christianity. I didn't even know if God was real, but I started to contemplate this truth that if God really is who he says he is, if God really is real, then the decision that I make about God is the most important decision I'll ever make in my life because that decision would determine my eternity. And not only would it determine my eternity, but it would also influence how I live and who I am. But, but, but here's the thing. I didn't want to just believe in God because other people said I should or because that's what I was supposed to do. I didn't want to believe in God just because the Bible said so. I wanted some evidence. I wanted to believe in God because the evidence pointed to the truth of God. And so I started to do some research. I started to ask some questions. I started to discover for myself. And, and, and as I started to uncover Uh, various evidences for Christianity, I discovered that all of Christianity was dependent on one thing. That if this one thing never took place, then Christianity was a pointless, futile religion, and we were just wasting our time. But if this one thing did happen, well, then Christianity was more than just a religion. If this one thing took place, then it meant that Jesus really was who he said he was. It meant that he really was the Son of God. If this one thing took place, then it meant that you and I have a Heavenly Father who loves us, who cares for us, and who created us to be in relationship with him. It all depended on this one thing. Have you ever thought about the irony that um, often something large and significant sometimes depends on just one thing? Like, without this one thing, everything else is pointless. Uh, A phrase we have to talk about this is we say that everything hinges on this one thing. And so we say the entire football game hinges on this last kick in the last three seconds. It doesn't matter about the rest of the game, but it all hinges on this one kick. We, We say, sure, you have a great resume, you have a lot of experience, but whether or not you get the job hinges on this one interview. Without this one thing, the rest of it doesn't even matter. And really it comes from the idea of a door and a hinge. Because if you think about a door, a door is pretty large in comparison to the small hinge that it hangs on. But without the hinge, the door doesn't swing, right? Without the hinge, the door doesn't hang. Without the hinge, the door is useless. Well, I discovered as I researched Christianity to discover if it was something I was going to give my life to, if I was going to believe in this, that Christianity hinge on one thing. And the one thing that Christianity hinges on is the one thing that we celebrate today, the resurrection. That if the resurrection of Jesus never took place, 
then we have no receipt for hope. If the resurrection of Jesus never took place, then we're all just wasting our time. We should just go to IHOP. But if the resurrection really did take place, if it really happened, if there really was a man named Jesus who died and rose again from the dead, then that changes everything. Then that means that we can place our hope in God. And, you know, hope is, hope is vital, isn't it? I mean, hope is the fuel that keeps us going. I just performed a funeral yesterday for a family uh, who had to bury their 19-year-old son who died because he had a rare disease. And when I was there sitting with the family, when I was sitting in a setting surrounded by death, I had to ask this question, if there is no hope, then why keep going? When you're faced with something like that, if there is no hope, why keep going? If there's no hope, how do you find comfort in a situation like that? If there's no hope, how do you find, find peace in a situation like that. See, hope is the fuel that keeps us going, right? Hope is uh, the expectation and the desire for something greater to happen. Hope is, it hasn't happened yet, but it will. Hope is, I don't have it right now, but one day. Hope is, things seem bleak, but tomorrow I get a new 24 hours. Hope is, everything is crashing down around me, but I can rebuild. Hope is the fuel that keeps us going. And so what can we place our hope in? Today, I want to give you a reason to have hope, some evidence to have hope, because if we're going to have hope, and I mean a hope that's backed by something, not some wishful thinking that one day this will happen, but I mean real hope that's backed by something, well, then it's all dependent on the resurrection. Because if the resurrection never took place, then what that means is that death has the final word. And not just a physical death, but death in our situations, death in our circumstances, right? Like if the resurrection never took place, then there's no hope that your marriage can be healed because death wins. But if the resurrection happened, if the resurrection really took place, then that means that death doesn't have the final word. See, the hope that your marriage can be healed hinges on the resurrection. The hope that you can overcome the addiction hinges on the resurrection. The hope that you can have life and meaning and purpose hinges on the resurrection. The hope that things can get better hinges on the resurrection. And so if the resurrection never took place, though, well, then it's all pointless. You know, this isn't an idea that originates with me. This was actually an idea that was brought up a couple thousand years ago by the Apostle Paul. Uh, Paul was a guy who devoted his life to starting churches all over the known world, and he was writing a letter to the church in Corinth in the ancient world, and uh, I want to show you what he writes about this truth, that if the resurrection never took place, well, then it's all pointless. But if the resurrection did happen, well, then that changes everything. And so if you have a Bible, would you open up to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, starting in verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. 1 1 Corinthians 15 1 now if you don't own a Bible that's all right you can actually download one for free uh, if you go to the app store on your phone and you search for Bible the very first option that comes up by lifechurch.tv is a really great Bible to have and so you should download that app you'll have one for free but um, if you don't have a Bible too we'll have the words for you on the screen but it's 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 1 can we get the lights up so people can read and uh, take notes as well 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 1 it says now Brothers and sisters, 
I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. Now, this word gospel means good news, and so that's what he's saying. I want to remind you of the good news that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, by this good news, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. For what I received... I passed on to you as of first importance. Now he's about to give us the gospel. He's about to give us the good news. And here it is. That Christ, Jesus, died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas. Cephas was another name for a guy named Peter. So he went by Cephas and Peter. He met Jesus. Jesus changed his name from Cephas to Peter, which is a great thing. Nobody ever wants to be called Cephas. And so he appeared to Cephas, or Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. And so this is the central message of Christianity, what Paul says. This is the gospel, that Jesus died for our sins, he was buried, and then three days later, he rose again from the dead. This is the central message, that Jesus, God himself, God in the flesh, lived among us, and he lived a perfect life. He lived the life you and I can't live. And then Jesus died on the cross, he died the death we deserve. And so he lived the life we can't live to die a death that we deserve. And when Jesus died on the cross, what he did was he took your sin and my sin, our sin, on himself. And we all know what sin is. Sin is everything that you regret in life. Sin is everything you've done to hurt yourself, everything you've done to hurt others. Sin is everything that we've done to rebel against God. And so Jesus, on the cross, he took all of our sin on himself. And when Jesus died, our sin died with him. Jesus died so that you could be forgiven and given a new life. And so, because Jesus died on the cross, you don't have to live in that guilt any longer. You don't have to live in that regret any longer. You don't have to live in that false identity that somebody labeled you with, or maybe that you label yourself with. You don't have to live in that any longer, because Jesus took your sin, and when he died on the cross, he forgave it. He said, it's over, it's done, I'm wiping it away. And then he was buried, and three days later, he rose again from the dead. And this is significant because if you and I, if we say yes to God, if we say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to accept the gift of forgiveness that you've given me by believing that he died for us, by being baptized into him, then we receive this forgiveness. We receive this grace. We receive a new identity. We can live differently because of Jesus. And so this is the central message of Christianity, that Jesus died to forgive us of our sins, to make us whole, to bring us into a relationship with God, and then he was buried, and three days later, he rose again from the dead. Now, at the time of Paul, and even today, there were some people who were saying, well, hold on, wait, dead people don't rise. <laughs> like, when you die, you die, unless you're on the walking dead, but you die and you're dead. Like, you don't come back to life. That, that doesn't happen. And so people were saying this, and Paul is addressing this to these people because they have some doubts. They have some skepticism. They have some, I don't even know if I believe sort of sentiments. And so Paul is addressing this with them a bit later in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look at verse 12. He says, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, and so that's the central message of Christianity, that Jesus rose again from the dead. If it's preached that he rose from the dead, 
how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So some people were saying, well, listen, this doesn't happen. People don't die and then come back to life. Sure, maybe somebody dies and then a couple minutes later they're resuscitated, but nobody dies, is buried, and then walks out of a tomb fully alive. That doesn't happen. It makes sense. And then in verse 13, Paul goes on with this line of logic that these people have about people don't rise from the dead. He says, well, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Not even Jesus rose again then. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. Again, we shouldn't even be here then. This is pointless. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. And so he's saying if, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we're a bunch of dirty liars. And so we're found to be false witnesses. But then he says, um, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. Verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Skip down to verse 19. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all others. And so what Paul is saying is that the Christian faith, whether or not we can have hope in this life, hope in the next, or even hope in God, all of it hinges on the resurrection. And so if the resurrection never took place, then it's pointless. But if the resurrection did happen, then it demands that you and I make a decision about what we'll do with God. Because if the resurrection really took place, then that means that we can trust Jesus. That means that he was who he said he was because he died and then he rose again from the dead, giving us evidence that what he claimed, that he was the Son of God, is true and we can place our faith in him. And so if the resurrection really happened, it demands that we make a decision. Will we accept God or will we walk away from him? And you can't choose to abstain because abstaining is choosing to walk away. And so it demands that we make a decision. Now, you should know uh, in full disclosure that I believe in the resurrection. Uh, I better. I mean, I've given my life to this, right? And so I believe in the resurrection, but I don't believe in the resurrection because the Bible says so. It's better than that. It's better than that. I believe in the resurrection because of what people saw and what they experienced. I don't believe in the resurrection because the Bible says so. It's better than that. I believe in the resurrection because of the evidence. And so I want to point out some of the evidence to you. Uh, the, the, the first piece of evidence is this, and there's, and there's so much evidence for the resurrection. Um, we, we just don't have time to get into all of it today. But if you wanted to disprove Christianity, if you wanted to dismantle this 2,000-year-long movement, if you, if you want to say that it's all pointless, then you have to disprove the resurrection. But the problem is the evidence for the resurrection is too great. Here's, here's one piece of evidence. Uh, we can believe in the resurrection because of what people saw and what they experience. Now, real quick, um, as you're listening to me, and, and I say, I don't believe in the resurrection because the Bible says so. It's better than that. You may be saying, but hold on, wait. All you've done is read from the Bible. Like, aren't you kind of using the Bible to prove the Bible? That's like circular reasoning. That doesn't make sense. And if you're asking that, that that's a great question. But the answer is no. No. And, and before we move on, I, I think we need to understand what the Bible actually is. And one of the best ways to understand what it is is to understand what it isn't. See, the Bible 
is not one big book that somebody sat down and wrote because they wanted to start a religion. No. The Bible, uh, the, the word Bible comes from the Greek word biblia, which means library or collection of books, right? And so this book here is a collection of 66 other separate books, separate distinct books. This is a collection of, of poetry and, and letters and historical documents. This is not one big book somebody wrote, but this is a collection of all different books. 66 books that were written by over 40 different authors on three different continents over a period of 1,500 years, and they were all assembled and put together in this book. And so the things that are in this one collection are reliable, not because they're in this one binding of a book, not because they're in this collection. The reason they're in this collection is because they were already reliable beforehand. Here, I'll give you another way to think about it. Uh, my daughter has this book. It's the world's best fairy tales. And uh, this is a collection of fairy tales. It has all sorts of things in it. Things like uh, Cinderella, Thumbelina, Puss in Boots, The Six Swans, Rapunzel. All sorts of fairy tales in this collection. Now, what makes them the world's best fairy tales is not that they're in this collection, right? We wouldn't look at this and say, because they're in this collection, they are the world's best fairy tales. No, they were already the world's best fairy tales. And someone collected them and put them in one book. They're not the world's best fairy tales because they're in here. They were already the world's best fairy tales. In the same way, the books that we have in the Bible are not reliable because they're in this collection. They were already reliable before they ever got in this collection. They were put in this collection because they were already reliable. And so if you ask, well, aren't you just using the Bible to prove the Bible? No, I'm not. I'm not referencing the Bible. I'm referencing Matthew who wrote about what he saw and experienced. I'm referencing Mark, who heard about some things and he wrote them down. I'm referencing Luke, who interviewed eyewitnesses and wrote down what they saw. I'm referencing John, who wrote down what he saw and what he experienced. I'm referencing Paul, who wrote what he saw. And so I don't believe in the resurrection because the Bible says so. No, it's better than that. I believe in the resurrection because of what people saw and what they experienced. And you can even read these ancient manuscripts for yourself. If you read the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you read the writings of Paul, you can see the evidence for the resurrection, not because the Bible says so, but because of what people saw and what they experienced. And Paul even draws on some of these things um, as he explains the good news. He says, uh, look, at, look at verse 6. It says, or I'm sorry, verse 5. So it says that, that Jesus was buried and that he raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And then verse 5 says, and that he appeared to Cephas, again Peter, and then to the twelve. And so one of the evidences for the resurrection is that Jesus showed himself to people after he resurrected. Like if you were to ask Peter, if you said, hey Peter, do you believe in Jesus? He would say, yes, I do. And if you asked Peter, why? Why do you believe in Jesus? He would say, well, because of the resurrection. And if you say, well, how do you know that the resurrection is real? Like, what evidence do you have? Here's Peter's evidence. Here's what he would say. Well, he was dead one day, and then three days later, I was having breakfast with him on the beach. Like, that's all I know. I mean, I can't explain anything else. I just know that he was dead, and then I was having breakfast with him on the beach. And, and so that's enough evidence for me that he resurrected, that he was dead, and then I was hanging out with him later on. And so this is Peter's proof for the resurrection, what he saw and what he experienced. And then it says that he appeared to the rest of the 12. Now, you may say, okay, big deal. 
So the followers of Jesus are saying they saw him raised from the dead. Yay. Like anybody could say that. Maybe they're making it up. But then Paul goes on to give some more evidence. Verse 6. It says, after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep, though, though some have died. And so what Paul is saying is that not only did he appear to Peter and his 12 followers, but then he appeared to like 500 people at the same time. Listen, if you're going to have a hallucination like that, you have to be on something really great. And so these 500 people, right, they witnessed the resurrected Jesus. And don't you know how difficult it is to get 500 people to agree on anything, let alone on what they witnessed? And he says, Jesus appeared to 500 people at the same time. And then he says, and some of them are still living. Translation, if you don't believe me, you can go ask them because they're still alive. You can fact check me. I mean, you can't ask them now. They're dead. But at the time that Paul was writing, he's saying, you can even go ask them what they saw. See, there were people who saw the resurrected Jesus and then experienced it. But then this is, this is the best evidence here. Verse 7. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. If this doesn't convince you that the resurrection is real, I don't know what will. Because Paul said that the resurrected Jesus appeared to his brother James. James went on to go lead the church in Jerusalem, and he preached the gospel message that Jesus was the Son of God. Let me ask you, what would it take for you to be convinced that your brothers or sisters were from God? What would it take for you to be convinced that your brother was the Son of God? Probably for them to die and then resurrect, and for you to see them alive again. Because they might fool everybody else, but they're not fooling you. Because you know them. Like, you grew up with them. You saw all their faults and failures and flaws. You know, if anybody knows they're not the Son of God, it's you. But James, Jesus' own brother, was convinced that Jesus was the Son of God. And then, Paul says that Jesus appeared to me also. And uh, this is significant evidence, because if you look at Paul's life, then you see that Paul was a radical Jew, and he was zealous for Judaism. Uh, he even launched this campaign to kill Christians, to, to do whatever it took to stop this movement. But then something happened in his life. He came face to face with the resurrected Jesus. He saw and experienced Jesus who was dead and then rose again from the dead. And Paul's life was dramatically changed after that. What we see in Paul's life is that he was, he, 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 he was on this campaign to kill Christians. He met Jesus and then he did a 180 and made it his life mission to start churches all over the known world. And look, you don't go from one extreme to another like that unless something radical takes place in your life, probably like witnessing a resurrection. So Paul goes from killing Christians to starting churches all over the known world. This may be like, I don't know, Marilyn Manson becoming a Christian artist, I don't know. But, but like Paul goes from one extreme to another. Why? Because of what he saw and what he experienced. What would it take in your life? For you to make a dramatic 180 turn, for, for, for you to do something completely different than what you're doing now, probably for you to see something radical, maybe like witnessing a dead Savior who's been 
resurrected. And so this is just one piece of evidence. We can believe the resurrection because of what people saw and what they experienced. But there's another piece of evidence that I want to give you. And uh, again, we don't believe because the Bible says so. It's better than that. We believe because of what people saw and what they experienced, but also because of what took place in people's lives after they saw the resurrection. Look, I'm a New England Patriots fan, and um, we all know that they won the Super Bowl this past year. And you can congratulate me later. It was a tough, it was a tough game. We, we tried our best, and we made it happen at the end. And so thank you. But so, so I'm a New England Patriots fan, right? And, and because the world is filled with haters, um, if, if there was a group of haters who got together and started this movement to stamp out the legacy of the Patriots, uh, and they captured me, and they, and they said, hey, did the Patriots win the Super Bowl? I would say, yes, the Patriots won the Super Bowl. I know because I saw it live. I was surrounded by people in my living room who witnessed it, and I rubbed it in their faces. And there was somebody I know who was at the game, and he told me that they won. And then it was written about, it is a fact. There is evidence that points to the truth that the Patriots won the Super Bowl. And then if this group of haters said to me, listen, I don't think you understand what we're asking you. See, we're asking you if the Patriots won the Super Bowl, and uh, you need to understand the outcome um, of what you say next. Because if you say that, no, the Patriots did not win the Super Bowl, then we're going to let you go. Uh, but if you say yes, then what we're going to do is we're going to torture you, we're going to kill your family, and then we're going to kill you. And so now let us ask you again, did the Patriots win the Super Bowl? Now look, we all know that it happened. We all saw it. I was in my living room. I saw it live. I was surrounded by people who witnessed it as well. I knew somebody who was at the game, and he told me that, it, uh, that they had won. And it was even written about. It is a fact. There's evidence that points to the Patriots winning the Super Bowl. But if I'm faced with torture and death, I'm changing my answer. I'm going to say, you know, now that I think about it, no, I don't think they won at all. Actually, I think this team, the, the Seahawks won. And I don't even know what you're talking about, the whole Patriot thing. I mean, are they even a team? Do they even exist? Because, look, I am Redskins all the way. I'm jumping on that bandwagon, even though it has no wheels and it's not going anywhere. But I am RG3, burgundy and gold all the way. I'm changing my answer if I'm faced with torture and death. Why? Because I haven't placed my hope in the Patriots. I haven't placed in my trust. I haven't based my life on this team. And even though it was a fact, even though it happened, even though there's evidence to support the win of the Patriots, I'm changing my answer if I'm faced with torture and death. But about 2,000 years ago, the followers of Jesus, the people who witnessed the resurrection were faced with that same scenario. Did the resurrection happen? If you say no, we'll let you go. If you say yes, we're going to torture you and we're going to kill you. And all of Jesus' disciples, except for one, except for John, died a martyr's death. But John didn't escape torture. He was boiled alive in oil and then exiled to a remote island to die. And so every one of Jesus' disciples died a martyr's death. Those who witnessed the resurrection in the first century died martyr's deaths. Why? Because it happened. Listen, nobody will die intentionally for a lie. Maybe a few people will, but out of those 12, out of all the witnesses who saw the resurrection, if it was a lie, 
if the disciples stole the body, if Jesus never really resurrected, and there was a conspiracy that started, and they were trying to fool everybody, if it was a lie, don't you know that somebody would have cracked? Somebody under, under torture and, and the, the threat of death would have said, you know what? Never mind. Didn't have, but no, everyone who witnessed the resurrection died a martyr's death. Why? Because they knew it was fact. They knew it was true. They had placed their hope, their faith, and their trust in Jesus. They were convinced because of what they saw and what they experienced. Nobody ever intentionally dies for a lie. And so they all died a martyr's death because they knew the truth that the resurrection really happened. And so there's so much more evidence. We don't have time to get into it, but we can know that the resurrection happened, not just because the Bible says so. It's better than that. We can believe the resurrection because of what people saw and what they experienced. We can believe the resurrection because of the evidence for the resurrection, and not just the historical evidence of the resurrection, but we can look at the lives of people here and now to see the evidence of the resurrection. And look, Paul, based on the evidence, based on what people saw and experienced, here's how he concludes it. So these people were saying, oh, there is no resurrection. People don't, people don't rise from the dead. But he goes through and he says, if Jesus never rose from the dead, then all of this is pointless. It's futile. But, but because of the evidence, because of what people saw and what they experienced, here's what he says, verse 20. But Christ, and so we can know this today, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Paul says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. And I can stand on this stage today and tell you that Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Yes. We can believe it, not because the Bible says so, not because you're supposed to, not because you're in church, but we can believe it because of what people saw, because of what they experienced, because of the evidence. And like I said, there's historical evidence, but there's also evidence all around you. I could point to the evidence of the life change of people in this church. Like I could point you to the evidence of Rocky's life. Rocky's the sound tech who is contracted to run sound for us on Sunday mornings. And as Rocky began to sit in the worship experience, he said, you know, I lived this rock and roll lifestyle. It was, it was crazy, but I know I need Jesus in my life and I want to accept Jesus. I want to say yes to Jesus. And Rocky decided to stand with Jesus and to be baptized into him right here in this hot tub. I could point you to the evidence of Martha's life, who she grew up uh, being abused and dealing with self-injury, but then she discovered that Jesus is the one who can heal her. And Martha said, I want to say yes to Jesus. I want to stand with him. I want to accept him in my life. And she was baptized right here in this hot tub. I could point you to the evidence of Joe's life, who came because his dad brought him. And Joe asked the question, could anybody ever love me? And then he came on a Sunday and he discovered the immense love that God had for him. And he said, I want to accept that. I want to live for God. And Joe decided that day to get baptized in this hot tub right here. I could point you to the evidence of Danielle's life. And if you heard our ad on 96X, then you heard Danielle's story. But on a Saturday, Danielle was going to kill herself. But she decided to come to church on a Sunday, and she discovered the hope of the resurrection in Jesus. And that day, her first time in church, her first time here, she said, I want to get baptized. And she made the decision to give her life to God. I could point to evidence in people's lives of how they've seen and experienced the resurrected Savior. You are sitting surrounded by evidence of the resurrection. It's all around us. Here, I want to give you a few more examples of evidence. Why don't you take a look?
Before I became a Christian, I was lost. Before I became a Christian, I wondered if anyone could love me. I felt like something was missing. I thought I could live life on my own terms. I felt invisible. Every day was a struggle. Before I became a Christian, I felt like my abuse defined me. But now, I know God's love for me. See, there's evidence, there's evidence all around us today. You know, I want to give you an opportunity in a moment to respond to the evidence. I don't know where you are in life today, uh, what you think about God, if you came in, again, resonating with this idea of, I don't even know if I believe, but I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the evidence, because here's the truth. 2,000 years ago, Jesus, the Son of God, came to this world to live a perfect life and to die on the cross so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be made whole, so that you could have a relationship with God. When Jesus died on the cross, he took away our sin and made us whole. The way that we accept that gift is by believing that Jesus died for us, that he rose again from the dead. And we believe that, but then we confess it with our mouth. We say it, and then we confess it with our life as well. We start to live it. We say, God, I want to follow you. I want to give you my life. This is called repentance. It's when we we do a, a 180. We were going this way, and then we go this way, and we say, God, I want to follow you with my life. I've been doing it wrong. I've been doing it my own way, and it's got me where I am now, and I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to live this way anymore, but I want to live for you. And then we're baptized into Jesus. We're immersed into him, just like you saw earlier with Caitlin, just like you saw on the video. When we get baptized, we're lowered into the water, buried with Christ. And here's the thing. You don't bury things that are alive. You bury things that are dead. Some of you today feel dead inside like you've tried everything you've run from God you felt like a life without God was better than a life with him so you feel dead inside your hope has faded you you want there to be something more but you just and so we're buried with Christ and when we come up out of the water we're raised to true life a brand new creation in the sight of God. We accept the forgiveness of God. His spirit comes to live inside of us. We're changed. We're transformed. I want to give you the opportunity today to respond to the decision that God is offering you. Because if God really is who he says he is, then the decision that you make about him is the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. 
So I want to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. To say, I've been running from you. I don't want to run any longer. But today's the day I'm going to decide to be resurrected. Today's the day I'm going to be raised to true life. I want to give you an opportunity to get baptized. And I know you're here and you're like, I didn't plan on getting baptized today. (laughs) I'm not ready. That's all right, because we've been planning and preparing for you. We try to think of everything so that you can make that decision today. So here's what we have for you. If you want to get baptized today, if you want to stand with Jesus, there's nothing that stands in your way. And so what we're going to do is we're going to give you a shirt that you can have, you can wear when you get baptized. We have a change of clothes for you. I know you didn't bring a change of clothes. I wouldn't have. But we have a change of clothes for you. We have uh, brand new men's and women's underwear. We have uh, shorts that you can wear. We have sports bras. We have female hygiene products. We even have a blow dryer that you can use to dry your hair afterwards. And we'll let you use a towel to dry off with. We've tried to think of everything so that even though you didn't come prepared to get baptized, you're ready now. You know you need to make the decision. We've been planning and preparing for you. And maybe you say, well, my family's not here. Um, and I want them to celebrate with me. Listen, we have two professional photographers who will take your picture. We'll even film you getting baptized so that we can send it to you. You can send it to your family and they can celebrate with you. We've tried to think of everything to move the obstacles out of your way. And maybe ask, well, what about my kids? You can go up to our kids' ministry. You can grab them. You can bring them down. They can celebrate with you. Or you can just leave them up there and we'll take care of them. But we've tried to think of everything to move the obstacles so that you could stand in front of Jesus and say yes. So that you could be raised to true life. So that you could give him your life and be baptized today. So I want to give you that opportunity. In a moment as the band sings, we're all going to stand. I want to ask if you need to make that decision. If you need to say yes to Jesus, as we all stand in the beginning of this song, I want to ask you to walk straight back to the back of the room. We have some people on our VIP team who would love to talk with you. They have a lanyard, um, the orange lanyard that's easy to easy to spot. Go back to them, talk with them. They would love to pray with you, answer any questions that you have. And so don't let anything stand in your way. They'll take you to the room so that you can get changed. And after this song, We can celebrate with you as you get baptized. And listen, you know that it's you. Because right now you're asking yourself, is it me? Yes, it's you. Right now you're asking, is he talking about me? Yes, I'm talking about you. Right now the adrenaline is racing in your body and you're like, I don't know, this is so embarrassing. I don't know if I should do it. Listen, don't talk yourself out of it. God is calling you to make a decision to stand with him, to say yes to him, to be raised to true life. Don't talk yourself out of it. Now is your opportunity. Now is the time. So as we sing, would you make that decision? Listen, Christianity hinges on the resurrection, but not just Christianity, our hope in life hinges on the resurrection. The truth that God can make all things new hinges on the resurrection. And today, we can believe in the resurrection, not because the Bible says so. It's better than that. We can believe in the resurrection because of what people saw and what they experienced. And we can believe in the resurrection today because of the evidence. And because the resurrection happened, that means that resurrection happens even now. It changes everything. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray you are inspired and encouraged by today's message. For more information on The Rising, visit wearetherising.com.